Well, <clears throat> what I would like to do today is first, I invite um, everybody to go ahead and put your, put it on pause, or not pause, I'm sorry, mute, put your um, video on mute, and then if you have a question, um, perhaps you can either raise your hand or maybe Troy, if you could kind of say, interrupt me and say someone's got a question <laughs> as we go through. Uh, what I'd like to share is a couple of things. We're going to go through this particular blog piece, um, and we're going to be reading definitely some Law of One straight from Ra, because they themselves are very clear that love is the greatest protection. And we're going to try to understand a little bit about what that might mean. How can love be the greatest protection? But they're very clear, and they say this several times, which I have down. But to get that started, about how love is the greatest protection, I'd like to invite us to consider um, a little bit of a concept here. That <clears throat> why would love be the greatest protection? And the concept I want us to understand is that Third density, as we've talked about before, is the density that does not have, it, it has a veil, a veil of forgetting. And we incarnate in here at our deepest, deepest level in the deep mind. We know that there is unity. We know that we are one with everything. We know that we are one with God at the deepest levels. And it is objectively true that we are one with everything. But on the subjective level, that is our conscious mind, everything about third density on purpose is that it gives us the appearance of separation. So subjectively, we experience the world is that we are separate and that we are separate from God. That is our a subjective experience. And what I'm going to argue here is that every single one of us has to navigate that discrepancy between the objective truth that we intuit at a deep level, that we're all one, and the subjective truth, a subjective uh, experience of being separate. And we all have to navigate that. That is the great hero's journey. That's the journey of journeys. And um, in fact, one way to maybe understand the Enneagram, I'm not going to get on that tangent, but one way to understand that the Enneagram in this case is uh, there are nine different ways to deal with this discrepancy. <laughs> okay, so that's just to plant a seed for the future. But <clears throat> what is our experience of being separate? Okay, so that's what we want to look at. And that's how we can understand how love is the greatest protection. Because our experience of being separate at the fundamental level, I'm going to posit that it is what Brene Brown, maybe you've heard of her, talks about shame. And Brene Brown, uh, who's a very famous researcher that studies shame and, and resiliency and vulnerability, 
says that uh, shame is experienced by every single human with the exception of people who are incapable of empathy. So these would be what are often called the antisocial personality disorders, soci sociopaths or psychopaths. And these are people who don't have, um, they don't understand what empathy is. So they themselves do not experience shame. But that might be one to 2% of the population. The rest of humanity experiences shame because it's, it is coupled with empathy, you see. And empathy means that I'm able to put myself in your shoes. And why can I do that? Is because I'm actually operating on the objective truth that we are all one. I can move my consciousness into your shoes, if you will, your consciousness, and experience using my intuitive skills, my imagination skills, whatever it is, and get a sense of being what it would feel like to be you. Okay, that is a... Uh, that's a unique gift that we have, which really harkens back to this all, we are all one. So shame is, what is shame? Shame is, Brene Brown calls shame the intense feeling that we are fundamentally unworthy of love and belonging. Shame is the feeling that we are unworthy of love and belonging. And the reason why I'm locating shame as the first byproduct of, if you will, of the veil of forgetting is that we come into the world and we have the sense that there is, it's hard to belong, especially if we have parents that were, that made that difficult. Now, if we've had good parenting, we get a real sense of the belonging and our shame is lessened. But even if we've had good parents, anytime that somebody feels a deep sense of shame in their life, it is because in that moment they feel like they do not belong to whatever group it is, or they don't belong to themselves in that moment, or they don't belong to God. There's some sense of being excommunicated at a deeper level. In fact, that was one of the biggest um, punishments in the ancient times is where you are exorcised from the group. Uh, not, what, that's not the right word. What word am I thinking of? Expelled. Where you're expelled from the group. Troy? Exiled. Say, say it again. Is the word banished? Uh, banished. Yeah, you could say banished. Like in the tribe? Yeah. Uh, that that the, was the word a, exiled was in mind for me. Okay. Yeah, and that was a fate worse than death, was to be cut off, um, excommunicated, whatever you want to say, because we have this intense sense of belonging. And in fact, um, you know, one of the things that Brene Brown is bringing to us to the forefront in our society is that we have a pandemic of shame. And in fact, it's often used by parents. Um, not, I'm not saying it's their fault because they didn't know, but a lot of parenting happens through the use of shaming people. 
if you are going to be one of us, you have to act this particular way uh, or else, you know. So there's this sense that my beingness depends upon a certain behavior. Well, shame <clears throat> is the fundamental feeling. And notice that in it's archetypally true when we find it in things like the Genesis uh, myth, okay? What happens right after the Adam and Eve were then expelled from the Garden of Eden or the scales fall from their eyes or whatever, and they realize the first thing they did is they realized that they were naked, they were vulnerable, they felt shame. Shame is that first... Um, feeling that we can get that we somehow aren't belonging somewhere. And right above shame, or maybe even parallel to it, would be fear. A fear, an existential fear that I do not belong. So shame and fear can go hand in hand here. And when I have this shame and this fear, then... I lose perspective. So notice in your own life and in my own life, anytime that I have a sense of shame or a sense of existential fear or anxiety, I have lost perspective. It's gone because I don't sense an interconnectedness in that moment. Even though it's always ontologically true, objectively true, in that moment, it's, I feel subjectively cut off. And the byproduct of that is often feelings of shame and fear or anxiety. And then the way that is often expressed is anger. So it's, for me, it kind of goes like shame, fear, and then anger. And you have, a, we have a lot of, you know, that's when we get defensive or we go on the offense. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. That's a, this is another, that could be another session, the psychological aspects of this. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is because when, when Ross says love is the greatest protection, I, I think we have to look at what the word love means in the sense of unity. And I think we have to look at the word protection in the sense of fundamental okayness, the fundamental belonging piece. Because if you get that right then that's how love can be the greatest protection. It's not like love is, is going to protect me from the, uh, you know, the, the quote acts of God or whatever. And even Ross says that those things will happen to the positive and the negative. <laughs> um, so love is, is a, the great protection in a, in a more fundamental all-encompassing sense for the positive adept or the positive person that's really polarized along their journey of, in the positive um, path. So that's kind of what we're talking about because what love does is, <clears throat> according to what the law of one, and good psychology to be honest, is love is... You as the you and me making a choice about a particular direction I'm going in 
So the Bible, the for example, the Christian scriptures talks about starting the plow and you plow forward and don't look back. <laughs> You're going to keep moving forward. It's making a choice of a trajectory, putting your faith towards one thing, and then allowing this will that you have to then galvanize energy into emotions, deep set sense of emotions uh, of, of kind of a distilled purity, emotions that come with it, forward trajectory. And what that does is that is you as the one infinite creator creating. Because anytime that you and I put our will and then energy towards one thing, that is an act of creating. And you could even call it creating your own universe. <laughs> like whenever you are engaged in a, pro a project or something with intense focus and love and you're in that flow zone, that is you being the one infinite creator in the act of creation. And Ra also says that the act of creating is a protective act. You see, because creation, the act of creating, bringing our energy into a focus and then going forward with it, that is what the one infinite creator does. That's all the one infinite creator does. Like that is the one infinite creator at the macro and the micro. Focus desiring, using the will, galvanizing the energy and plowing forward, creating. And when you and I engage in that, then we are engaged. It's not just our energy. It's the energy of the one infinite creator that's coming through us. And what our feeling is in that moment is not being cut off, if you will. For in that moment of the flow state of, of expressing love in this kind of way and will, this is uh, a unitive act, an act in which you and God are of one will moving forward. And the byproduct of that is that it re it, it feels, the way it feels is that you are intrinsically one with God. That's what the flow state feels like. Is like, I, I'm not even aware of time. I mean, anybody who's been in the flow state can kind of feel that. You're not even aware of time. And it just kind of comes out and goes through. And <clears throat> when you and I are in a moment of unitive consciousness then we are very aware that we are connected to God and to all things. And also, we have purpose and perspective in that moment. So if anything were to happen that's, quote, negative catalyst or a catalyst that's really challenging, when we have the focus and will and focus of our polarity, our positive polarity moving forward, and then something, quote, negative happens to us, we're going to interpret that seemingly negative catalyst in what way? Ra says we're going to interpret it, if you're on the positive path, as 
something that can help us galvanize and polarize even more to the positive. You see? And so it's protective because even the so-called things that are pretty not great about things that might happen to you or things in the world, uh, infringements, violations, you know, these aren't things that we can say are wonderful and that we're grateful for. But we can actually be grateful even for those things because we have a chance to choose how to respond to it and how to incorporate it in our path that is congruent with a positive polarity that everything can be used as a way to polarize more positively because we can choose to incorporate it in a way that is, um, uh, we can see that it's helpful for our journey. Okay. And when we are in this flow state, and we're moving forward and we're, we're plowing and we're not looking back. <laughs> metaphysically, you are taking a lot of energy. You, you are becoming a, uh, a vortex, an energy vortex. Almost just think of like um, the way I think of it. <laughs> this may not help everybody, but think of a tornado. <laughs> Um, think of a tornado before it actually touches the ground. So it's just kind of swirling in the clouds. Uh, you know, it's, it's not yet a tunnel. It's not yet a, a vortex uh, that's all the way down. And it's just, and at, when it's like this, it could dissipate and go. But when a tornado kind of goes down and all the way to the ground and spins and touches, it's, it is connected. It is moving forward and it is um, very, very powerful. Now take that tornado that's vertical and move it almost like horizontal. So let's say you're at one end and your will and love is at the other end and that tornado is pulling all God's energy, like you become the tornado, okay? And God's energy is like up here and it's being channeled all the way through that is the tornado that's you and it goes right in into the world and then plows through forward 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 and it is strong and when you do that metaphysically things just get sucked in like the tornado okay gets sucked in your energy becomes sucked in and you can start to the the um the way that, uh, forgive me for some of you who may not know, I, my history is the, uh, Christianity is my faith of origin, so I know that the most. So, for example, the, the Hebrew, the Christian scripture talks about the ten talents, you know, and that to whom much is given, much is expected. Um, and what happens is when you start to do this vortex of energy and love and it's pointed in one direction forward, you're going to be gathering more and more and more of this energy and people are going to be drawn to you. And that is also a protection. Why? Because you're no longer alone. And you're going to be gathering other people who are also rotating in this direction. 
You see? And then all of a sudden you're forming communities. So solidarity now. And in communities you have an experience of being together through empathy and all of that. So now you're forming in a manifested way what is always and everywhere true, which is unity. Again, another layer of protection. So it all begins with, in my opinion, it begins with understanding that it is objectively true that we are always and everywhere unified. Even if our subjective feelings is that we're separate. And when we live in a separated way, when you and I live in the world in a separated way that I am cut off, like I, I may feel like I'm cut off and then I'm going to act out in ways that further this energy of being separated. Then when negative catalysts happen to me, I am not going to interpret that as this is for my benefit or this is for the good. I'm going to see myself as more and more the perpetual victim. Once again, this happened to me. Once again, this happened to me. And when I, and then that can keep me even more separated. I feel more cut off. I feel more shame. I feel more fear. I feel more anger. And then that creates its own inertia, this own inertia of of bellicosity, an attitude of bellicosity, anger, and I want to take this out. So that's when I, we project onto other people, you're the cause of my problems over there. Um, but when we can, on the other hand, understand that love is this is the energy of unity, and it is something that we can feel in our hearts, we can feel as emotions. And when we make decisions using our will that we're going to go forward with the highest intentions and we're going to keep working um, on this so that even our feelings start matching our, our will, that creates this vortex of love, this energy, and it's in it God the creator starts to work through you in more of a streamed kind of way. And then whatever happens to you or to other people, we realize that we are free in that moment to, to interpret the catalysts from the place of invitation to more polarize towards the positive. So I'm going to I'm going to pause there and ask if there's any comments or thoughts on this so far. Um, what you might disagree with me or that's fine, too. I would just be interested in weighing in. Uh, Mark, I think Mark and then Troy. Yeah, a couple of things done. Um, I mean, this is one of the reasons I really love doing something like this is because as you're talking about this subject, it reminds me associatively of things that I've experienced in the past. And one of the things that you were 
talking about it, uh, you know, in terms of uh, shame, fear, loss of perspective. I, I flashed on, um, uh, um, let me back up just for a second, and I'll try and keep this as quick as I can because I have a tendency to be rather wordy. Um, I did conference recording for almost 30 years, and I specifically recorded things in the areas of alternative healing and spirituality and human potential and psychology, all that kind of stuff. But I recorded a, uh, for years, I had a contract with a conference called the uh, College of Syntonica Optometry. And they used color therapy for healing, um, neurological problems, uh, issues with trauma and so forth. And one of the things that they talked about a lot is using this color and light therapy, um, showing that when, especially when a child, also adults, but specifically they work with children who suffered some form of uh, trauma, psychological or physical trauma, the visual, they would measure visual fields. So the visual field is how much peripheral vision we have, you know, in our periphery. And so they have a way of measuring that. And when, when a trauma can occur, that the visual fields would start to contract and people that are, these practitioners would say that kids would come in to their office looking down because they're, they're looking at the world through a pinhole because their, their entire world is constricted down their visual field. They have no, no peripheral vision. And through this color therapy, it opens it up. So it's almost like this light, like different frequencies of light uh, used in this way conveys a form of love from the creator and expands these visual fields and they can see, they can plot this on a chart, you know, when they have a device that they can measure the visual fields expanding. And then you see that the personality of the, the child go from very introverted and, and uh, alienated, feeling alienated and their schoolwork suffering to just changing their life. So the reason I, I mentioned this is it supports, it's a physical, um, evidence of what you're saying in terms of what happens to our perspective. And one of the things that I teach, I teach skiing. And one of the things I realized skiing has taught me is the difference between having a closed focus when you're skiing and having an open focus. So when you kind of open your focus out and you look at the beautiful scenery and you look at the slope before you and the people around you, you gain perspective when you're learning, especially when you're learning to ski, but all the way through the trajectory of your experience, that you you when you have a closed focus, you lose your balance easier. It's it's hard to keep your balance because you can't sense where you are in relation to the universe, to the rest of the world. And when you open that focus, you can really feel where you are in the rest of the world and your skiing improves. So that was kind of long. I'm sorry. No, thank you, Mark. Um, let me just make a quick comment and say you, you've hit it right on because uh, whatever is true above is true below and true below is true above, as we know. And uh, if it's true metaphysically, it has to be experienced somewhere, someplace physically. Otherwise, it's not true. So uh, it this is exactly the kind of thing 
that I would expect to see because uh, being in fear and in shame is a myopic view. And then having love, and Ross says that the heart, the heart field is the field, the green ray energy is the field of love and understanding. The way I interpret that is it's the field of being able to see holistically, you see? So if I'm seeing the world, like you talked about skiing and having a macro picture of it, if I'm seeing the world or I'm seeing this person that's attacking me, but I'm seeing them holistically, like, look at their childhood, look at the crap they've gone through, all these things that, you know, all of this stuff, and I'm able to see them more holistically, then I'm not going to be hurt by the barbs that they're, I don't mean Barbara's, okay, Barbara, Mwah. I meant by the barbs, by the the thorns that they're, sh you know, shooting at me, I'm not going to be hurt by that as much, because I can see holistically. So there's another example of uh, the wider the shot, the the that I'm able to view the catalyst, the object that's giving me this catalyst, then I'm not I'm going to be protected because I simply have better perspective because I'm I'm seeing the world from unitive consciousness. You see, that's the mind of Christ that Paul talks about. Troy, you had a question, I think, or a comment. Well, Anxious to see the. Uh, I, I understand the metaphysical theory, and that that's that's good. It's not quite where we live yet, so I was kind of anxious to see what Ross says. What particular protections Ross was thinking about when he made his comments? So I guess you're probably going to get to that next. Just yes, shouldn't that? Yeah. Um, does anybody else have one more? Maybe one other person would like to share something that they thought about as we were talking there or not I can go on okay um, <clears throat> all right so here is the archetype of experience and um, notice that it is there's a pitch of light that's held up okay and notice that the way that this is shaped is interesting because you can draw a straight line, which I have in other places, from right here, the tip of the point of the dress on this person, on the archetype of experience, and go straight through right to the pitch of light, okay? Straight through. And what's interesting is that this covers all of the chakras, too, because when, when you have an, a catalyst that comes in, we are often defensive against it. And that is because the first chakras are judging something, whether it's survivable, uh, survivable physically or emotionally or spiritually. And so there's almost an automatic defensiveness at first. You know, if we're operating just in the lower chakras, we're going to receive things from a kind of defensive posturing. And that would still be very much within the ethos of separation. But also notice here, if I were to draw a straight line, again, from the tip of this dress all the way through, it passes through the heart. See? Passes right through the heart. And uh, when I get here to the pitch of light, Ra talks about the, and this is, uh, I'll read that here in a second, the pitch of light is important. If I were to draw a parallel line from, from what this orb is 
draw a straight line through what energy center is that parallel to? Right there. What is that? Blue. Uh-huh. The blue ray. And the blue ray is the ray of wisdom. It's the ray of uh, putting together all of the pieces and seeing things from a macro perspective and then being able to voice one's truth uh, or express those things in some kind of embodied way that expresses um, a very high level of seeing the, in the world, of loving in the world, okay? And Ross says that the pitch of light, when it's held high, whatever catalyst comes in can then be seen from the level of wisdom, which is the Blu-ray. So it's interesting that that is kind of shown here. All right. Um, let me read this out loud. Questioner. And this is from, um, mm, might be the 90s. Sorry, I don't have it down here somewhere. But, okay, from that statement, I interpret the following meaning. That if the experience of the mind has sufficiently chosen the right-hand path, as total purity is approached in choosing of the right-hand path, then total imperviousness from the effect of the left-hand catalyst is also approached. Is this correct? And Ra says, I am Ra. This is exquisitely perceptive. The seeker, which has purely chosen the service to others path, shall certainly not have a variant apparent incarnational experience. There is no outward shelter in your illusion from the gusts, flurries, and blizzards of quick and cruel catalyst. However, to the pure, all that is encountered speaks of the love and the light of the one infinite creator. The cruelest blow is seen with an ambience of challenges offered and opportunities to come. Thusly, the great pitch of light is held high above such a one so that all interpretation may be seen to be protected by light. Unquote. Okay. Anything that jumps out of you in that? Any thoughts? Any, uh, any wisdoms that you see there? Yeah, Troy. I worked with uh, satanic ritual abuse victims, and we would see little demon-like attachments to multiple, the multiple personalities that would come out of these conditions. <clears throat> and um, um, I came to they they were they were like enemies at first, but eventually I came to realize they were like flagman on a in a uh, road under construction they signaled up ah, here here's a problem <laughs> uh, 
you better pay attention to this. And um, so we, we started using them as signal signal forces rather than enemies. And that, that little shift of, of uh, thought uh, made significant difference, I thought. Just an example. Okay, that's beautiful. And what I'm going to ask now, the group, is why would you think that that shift in perspective of using, let's say, demons, what could be seen as demons in adversity, the shift to seeing them as flag people um, showing caution, how could that... Why would that shift be so important, do you think, in light of, of what we're talking about? Yeah, Leon. Yeah, what occurs to me there is when you think of it as a demon, what's, what energy is naturally just going to be flowing that way? It's going to be closed off. You're going to be leaning back figuratively. If it's a, a signal, if it's something, it's something that you can work with, something that is... Um, cooperating with you in a way. It's something that you can lean into, can move forward to and work with. It's a, it's a loving energy versus a closing off slap. I need to separate from this energy. That's what, that's what I, that's yeah. what I got. Thank you. What I'd like to add there is even if you have to set boundaries around entities that might be coming at you for example even if you if one sets boundaries uh raw talks about this several places is that one doesn't have to see them as the enemy even as you set set boundaries one can offer them to go their merry way (laughs) and i'd like to add this is wholeness has its own luminosity wholeness has its own vibrational strength of light so the more whole you and i are on our inner lives integrated okay and the more holistic we can see the world from this macro perspective and even if we're not sure that we're seeing it right even asking for help to see it more clearly is a type of wholeness to ask for this kind of wholeness right when we do that then it is a kind of light that you exit, you give off that is very not attractive for entities, people too, who prefer separation. So just notice, for example, if you're around people who are perpetually negative and they're talking you know, a lot of everything is to complain this or complain that everything's a problem all the time, you know, and and, and in a sense, they become uh, um, addicted to the drama, you know, okay. And if you go in and you are trying to be positive and being authentically positive, and not participating in the negativity, and accepting people where they're at, uh, usually one of three things will happen. A, they will just leave you alone because birds of a feather flock together and you're not one of our flock. So they'll kind of leave you. Two, um, they may attack you and they may talk about you as being goody-goody or something like that. There's some character flaw they'll find in you because you're not participating in the negativity. 
Or three, you may actually change the whole paradigm of people, transmitting that negative energy into trends into positive energy just by being a person of whole shining off this holistic stuff. And that it itself is protection. Yeah. Um, what does Ross say? So in 63.5, Ross says, continue in love and praise and thanksgiving to the creator. Love is the great protector. And in 64.21, as always, love is the greatest protection. And then one more, um, there's actually two more, but this is a, another pithy one, is in 91.38, continual fidelity of the group to the ideals of harm, or continue the fidelity of the group to the ideals of harmony and thanksgiving. This shall be your great protection. So here's what I want to add, because I started off talking about how we focus our will and then bring in this um, emotion and, and make it one a kind of a singularity, almost a singularity, like a, a black hole, but it's, it's a white hole. <laughs> it's love, you know, but you bring it down to, to it's something so singular and pointed in one direction that it starts to create, like a black hole, its own gravitational force that draws things in it. And um, I'm going to read this out loud because I thought th this whole paragraph is really fascinating to me. Um, and I think it illustrates what I'm trying to say. And it's talking about rituals and white magic. But just I'm going to read it slowly and just listen to the words and then we'll see what your reflections are on it. This comes from 64.4, questioner. Thank you. Could you explain the basic principles behind the ritual which we perform to initiate the contact and what I would call the basic white magical rituals, principles of protection and other principles? Could you please do this? I am wrong. Due to your avenue of question, we perceive the appropriateness of inclusion of the cause of this instrument's transitory vital energy distortion. The cause is a bias towards the yearning for expression of devotion to the one creator in group worship. This entity was yearning for the protection, both consciously in that it responds to the accoutrement of the expression, the ritual, the colors and their meanings as given by the distortion system of what you call the church, the song of praise, and the combined prayers of thanksgiving, and most of all, that which may be seen to be the most centrally magical, the intake of that food which is not of this dimension, but has been transmuted into metaphysical nourishment in what this distortion of expression calls the Holy Communion. The subconscious reason, it being the stronger for this yearning, was the awareness that such expression is, when appreciated by an entity as the transmutation into the presence of the one infinite creator, a great protection of the entity as it moves in the path of service to others. 
the principle behind any ritual of the white magical nature, is so to configure the stimuli which reach down into the trunk of the mind that this arrangement causes the generation of disciplined and purified emotion or love. In other words, the disciplined and purified emotion, Ra is equating that statement with love, which then may be both protection and the key to the gateway to intelligent infinity. So let me just sum up uh, what I think they're saying in basic words, and then uh, I love your thoughts on it. Um, from what I understand is Ra is asking, why did Carla have a sudden kind of surge of vital energy um, at mass when she was a Episcopalian and she had participated in the mass and received communion and Ross saying, well, um, <clears throat> this Carla's yearning to connect with God and other people inside the context of community. That was the church then. And also the smells and bells of the mass, that's the accoutrement of this expression, this ritual and the colors and everything, all, all these prayers, all of them acted as a way to distill the process of connecting down and in into the, her subconscious, because that was also where her yearning, her yearning, her conscious mind was the yearning. And then all of those rituals and smells were in congruence with this yearning and they went right down into her subconscious. And that created this, and that's a discipline. Uh, the, the, the ritual is a discipline and being faithful to that discipline for her. Um, all of these created these emotions and all of that focusing of the will and the experience, that's that, movement of the will and the the focusing forward surrendering yourself into the experience of unity that is love and that is protection it's protection because in that moment you are going to be so configured that your subconscious and and the creator's infinite presence and all of in your conscious mind are all congruent with sympathetic resonance. It's all being resonant in one tone. Okay. That's a singularity. And in that moment, everything could be seen as God. Even something like bread, the Holy Communion is, a, is an act of ingesting the one infinite creator. Um, and so she was apparently protected even from maybe an attack at this point because of the, the, the absolute congruity she experienced with the one infinite creator's wholeness. As again, wholeness has its own luminosity. Okay. Uh, any, any thoughts or, or comments on what we talked about today or are those particular readings? Yeah, Mark. So I'm just curious what your thought is about this, Doug, as you're talking. And, and I read that, you know, this morning, uh, 
uh, that that passage, and uh, it occurred to me that that Carla's um, upbringing, being in Mass, I, I was raised Catholic, so I can relate, and I guess you were too as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. That Mass, that the Mass is a powerful uh, collective historical event that has a lot of power behind it because of that that the history yep. and the, the consciousness about it and the and almost in the invocation of that um, to put it into the, the as above so below context mm-hmm. that there's that the, the ideation of of the ritual the holding of the ritual in the mind is like voltage and electricity right. and that physical act uh, impels it into reality through the is like amperage with electricity. If that's the well done, that's what occurred to me. I just wondered what you thought about that. Yeah. And not only can it be accessible to the person in that moment, but those thought forms build over time, you know? So, uh, you can imagine the, the great voltage that is there with, any kind of like white magical ritual and, and our job is to the degree that we want to, is to tap into that, <laughs> um, to, to be of one mind with that. Yeah. Well said. You know, I, can I say one more thing? Um, I'm, I'm reading for this second time, a book by a gentleman named, uh, Mark, uh, Stavish. And he, uh, he wrote a book called egregores, uh, about egregores. Are you familiar with the term egregores? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that kind of speaks to this, uh, and, it, and it correlates. Uh, at the same time, I'm reading Stavish's book. I'm rereading the Megas of Strobolos about Daskalos, mm-hmm. and he says that's the thing that's so interesting to me about the correlation from these brilliant people and people like yourself that 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 have seeing how there's a cross-correlation. Sometimes the wording is a little different, but the, the, the meaning behind it is so uh, is so closely related that you can't dismiss it. It's like, th- this is truth, you know? It's it's fascinating. I, I, it's so exciting to see this when, it, when I come across it. Well, if it's true one place, if it's really true, it's got to be true everywhere. It's got to be found in all different places. Thank you, Mark. Um, Leon, you had something you wanted to share real quick? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit maybe connected with the tangent, but um, pretty well connected. I, uh, one of my classes this past semester was called Western Magical Traditions. And one of the first uh, in one of the textbooks was a, pra- a practice magic. And the very first um, ritual magic that it had us go through and learn and 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 practice was the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram which i thought was so cool because i already knew of it Mm -hmm. and it went through it in great detail several pages and as i was going through this and studying the steps i started to feel the energy of the ritual and I could start to feel consciousness like it had consciousness. And I got the sense of the fact that because it's been practiced 
for centuries and has such specific meaning for protection that that ritual itself at some point began to have its own consciousness focused around this one purpose. It was a really powerful experience that I did not expect to happen, you know, just a few pages into this um, this uh, practice magic uh, work. It was very cool. Oh, yeah, that's it. That is absolutely it. And there's all kinds of ways to get attached to this. But I will just add one thing and then we're going to close it out. One doesn't need to practice a kind of macro collective ritual because uh, it's also true that um, the more unitive consciousness one becomes where you have a, 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 short, a very good wholeness inside and outside and all of these things, you actually become, without even trying, <laughs> a walking embodiment of the lesser pentagram or of communion, of holy communion. Like, for example, I am the body of Christ. So are you. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. I am that. And to the degree that I can enjoy unit of consciousness, that seventh, that seventh chakra, you know, that's way up here, is to the degree that I am myself an embodied sacrament, uh, yeah. you know, and that's what Ra talks about specifically. Uh, Troy? I was going to ask Mark Walter Waters to put the two books he referenced uh, on, the, yeah. on the chat so we can look at those if we wanted to. Uh, not the chat. Could you do it in Slack? So when you go to Slack and go okay, to the library, that's good. that's good. Go to the library channel. Um, then you can put it down there after we end here. Yeah, that. Yeah, one. I, yeah, yeah. And he he had mentioned Doskalos, which is something mm -hmm. you and I Troy talk about. Right. Okay. Yeah, I have one familiar with the other one though. But and and then um, also wanted to comment that um, I feel very protected in my unitive spiritual state but i wasn't always in the unitive spiritual state <laughs> and there are a lot of steps to get to that place yeah. um and i think these banishing rituals or or uh, uh telling demons to go away in jesus name or, or whatever are very useful on the journey and we might can get those uh get to the place where we can just trust love but we may not always be there. And, and some of these other things can be useful, I think, in the process. Yeah. And we can spend more time on this in the future uh, to kind of look at the different states of, you know, the purgative way, the illuminative way, the unitive way, and, and what might be some different rituals that can be helpful in that. Yeah. And those are all congruent and found the law of one, too, by the way. Listen, we're going to close out. I'm going to ask uh, someone, please, to... This is a magical ritual. We always open up with the, the invocation and we, we then we talk. The way we talk is, is very much white magical. And then we're going to close out with um, the benediction. Yeah, I can give it a go. Awesome. Thank you, Neil. All right. So let's close our eyes and take in one big deep breath. 
And as always, we rejoice in the love and light of the one infinite creator. And I like a little visual that I do of my gratitude or thankful triangle starting at the top and working my way down to the bottom. So giving thanks to the one infinite creator for everything and all experiences and moving down to our logos and the sun that provides the light and love for this entire planet and all the beauty that mother earth has on it and all the good things that are here despite the surrounding bad news and everything that seems to come our way but there is beauty and love all around and moving down to our guides and all the unseen angels and beings helping us through our lives and in our afterlife state as souls and just all those family members and ancestors that have passed we are so thankful for your continued support and loving energy and then down to just all the people in this group i'm so thankful to have a group of like-minded people to talk to and just really share these thoughts that really resonate and help me on my path and just very thankful for everyone here and hope that everyone has a great week and we can all help those that come to us and remember that things are happening for us for our growth and to always choose love amen oh beautiful amen wonderful Look forward to seeing everybody next week, and God bless. Thank you so much.